The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello. Actually, today this is Chantal Cecile Cura taking the, uh, Terry Aranga's place here as the host for the show. Uh, I'm Chantal, and for those who don't, who don't know me, I'm the author of um, four books on autism. I'm also the founder of AutismCollege.com, so I'm happy to be here with you today. Our guest today is Laura Falvo, who is the Executive Director of the Grace Center for Social Learning and Understanding. So today we're going to be talking about um, social understanding and also um, books that she has written and how we can help our individuals Spectrum. So a little bit more about Laurel. She graduated from Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Previously, she taught first grade at Hudsonville Christian School. In addition to her work with the Gray Center, Laurel is associated with Early On of Kent County, serving as the local interagency coordinating council. She's also the parent of two sons and a daughter. And she's also authored quite a few books. They are The Good Food Cookbook for Gluten-Free and Casein-Free Diets, She's the co-editor of the Social Stories Quarterly. She's most recently authored and produced ASD to Z, Basic Information, Support, and Hope for Individuals Diagnosed with Autism Spectrum Disorders. Laurel has been endorsed by the Gray Center and Carol Gray to provide social stories training. She also presents frequently on topics such as social understanding, the autism spectrum, and finding ways to enable those with disabilities to use their gift as members of a church. More recently, she has developed the Social Response Pyramid, Okay, so I'm really happy to introduce Laurel here. I can see that we're going to have a lot to talk about. You know, I was really interested. I was looking um, on your website about the social response pyramid. Do you want to explain a little bit about that? Because I was really intrigued by that. Speaking about social understanding and trying to explain uh, what autism is and how individuals with a diagnosis on the spectrum uh, process information and it finally occurred to me, no, it really doesn't have to be so complicated and difficult. So I came up with, if you draw out a triangle, it's three colors, the top. It's almost like a reverse um, traffic light. The top is green, the middle is yellow, and the bottom is red. And basically, I believe that every person in this world can be represented by a pyramid like this. Um, the red part is our starting point for everything in life, and I call that my context. And each individual has a very unique starting point, a, their own unique context. And it's made up of um, how a person feels, thinks, believes, their personality, their past experiences and how they feel about them. A diagnosis certainly is part of that. Um, so it's almost like when I work with clients, I have a, a large, ugly pair of sunglasses that's really dark. And when I put those on and point to a piece of white paper and say this paper is gray, 
they're able to articulate to me that, no, the paper is white, but it looks gray to me because of my dark sunglasses. Mm-hmm. For each of us, our context colors all of life. Um, it colors our interactions with other people. That's our starting point. Now, if you look at the green part, that represents our responses, the things that we do and say. Those are the observable things that people can see in us. We might call them behaviors. Our responses, I think, um, can be divided into two different types. There are authentic responses, which are coming from that unique context. So if you think about what you would say or do if you're walking along and you stub your toe, uh-huh. That's your authentic response. We yeah, get I don't know from. if it would be a polite word sometimes. Yeah, right. <laughs> and most people <laughs> can pretty quickly think of what that word would be if that <laughs> happens. Now, that's an authentic response. I'm not going to say that's a right response or a wrong response. It's what you would do if this happens. Um, right. And we, we get where it's coming from. And if you're alone in your living room, that probably is going to work just fine. It may not lessen the pain, but it feels good to say that word, and so that's what we do. The problem is if you're walking into um, a board meeting where they're, where they're going to review your performance and you stub your toe, you probably are not going to use that same word. Now, the Correct. pain hasn't changed. Um, what's changed is what I call the social context. It's the mm-hmm. people who are there and their expectations. So what we need to generate is not an authentic response in that case, but a socially effective response, something that's going to work for the people around us and for us. And in order to generate a socially effective response, we need to be using strategies, and that's the yellow portion of that three-colored pyramid or triangle. And we've got a toolbox of strategies available to us um, to help us choose a socially effective response enact it, and then evaluate when we're done. How well did it work? What did I learn from this? What could I do in the future? So that's really how we all approach life. We don't think about this stuff. We just do it. But this is the type of thing that can be taught specifically to individuals with autism and Asperger's syndrome who are missing so much of information about themselves and how they view life information about the types of responses they can generate and how successful or unsuccessful those are likely to be, information about people in their social context and the expectations that they have for them, and information about that toolbox of strategies that they have. Um, It's it's really interesting because you're giving a visual to uh, maybe what some parents may be doing already without thinking about it. Exactly. Or using things such as social stories, for example. Right. But this gives a nice visual to it. Uh, this whole question of, um, as you're talking about authentic responses and strategizing what should we be doing, made me think of a paper that my son uh, wrote when he took a class on multicultural communications ah, uh-huh. or intercultural communications. Yes. And he had to write these papers about intercultural concepts. And one of the concepts was behavioral flexibility. Uh-huh. And he spoke about it from, he wrote this paper from the point of view of someone with autism about a culture that he is not a part of and he chose the neurotypical culture, which I thought was quite interesting. Right. And he said that he does not have behavioral flexibility and that for someone with autism that's a really hard concept because they, at least for someone like him, he responds with his senses. Right. His sensory stuff. And he didn't realize that people have a behavior flexibility that that's a choice they make. Right. And so, uh, but he's understood it because he was, he was explaining in the paper that going to Las Vegas, for example, would be different if you go with your buddies than when you go with your family. Okay. Just like going to church would be different. Right. 
if you went with the same people that you normally went to Las Vegas. Exactly. And that's the importance of that social context. Right. And it was really funny because at the end he said, but it was easy for him to be, to have that behavior flexibility when he was with the neurotypical, uh, guys. Uh-huh. At, um, in Las Vegas, especially when the neurotypical guys are acting like boys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep. Very interesting. And really, I believe that individuals with autism, this doesn't come naturally to them. It really, the fu- effective functioning of this pyramid is um, executive functioning. Mm-hmm. And that's how executive functioning works. And I believe that a lot of this stuff can be taught and that using a visual like this can be very helpful. The other thing I've noticed, I do sell a kit where people can purchase the pieces that they need and some instructions and some discussion guides. But what happens is when you're in um, in kind of an intense interaction, people are angry or frustrated, that if you try to talk about the social stuff, oftentimes things fall to pieces. If you grab these little three-colored pieces and put them down on a table or on the floor and use them to talk through what happened and why and what we could have done differently, I've been amazed to find that people calm down right away and it becomes a lot easier to talk about these things. Because it becomes more concrete for them. They can touch right. it and feel it. Right. And it involves them in problem solving. They're able to right. more quickly identify what happened and why and what they could do differently. Oftentimes we approach their responses See, we respond to responses. Um, that's what a lot of our, you know, punishments or, you know, quick reactions are. We give authentic responses to other people's authentic responses. We're dealing with the tip of the iceberg. And the more we can get information about what's happening at the base of that, you know, what the person's context is and what strategies they have available and what their understanding is of other people's expectations um, the more we can help them then by plugging those gaps with appropriate tools. Right. So I'm just going to mention where people, if they wanted to look, log into their computer now and see, it's on thegraycenter.org, social yes. response pyramid. Yes. Well, if and you Google thegraycenter.org and social response pyramid, you should find it. But it's right. social-response-pyramid. Yep. And it is the Gray Center, G-R-A-Y Center. Yes. Um, we always have a problem spelling gray, don't we? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people think it's G-R-E-Y. So I do want to hear a bit about your background. Like, how did you start working with people with autism? What was your motivation there? You know, I remember doing a term paper in eighth grade on autism and just being fascinated. Of course, at the time, our understanding was of individuals who did not connect socially, um, didn't appear to have any interest in connecting socially, um, had very limited, if any, verbal um, language abilities. And I remember it, it fascinated me. And although I went into regular elementary education, actually with a bilingual endorsement uh, with Spanish, um, I took some classes in special education and was looking at moving in that direction. Um, Great. We'll be right back after okay. this break. Thank you. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? 
Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Hi, this is Chantel Cecile Cura, filling in for Terry Aranga of Autism One. And my guest today is Laura Falvo. And when we stopped right before the break, Laurel, you were telling me a little bit about um, how you first got into contact with autism. Yes. Um, I had started out then with a real interest in autism and had thought about pursuing that with my teaching career. Um, I became a mom, and within the first few years of being a mom, I was told that my two sons had um, Asperger's syndrome. Um, at about that time, I met Carol Gray, who is the founder of the Gray Center, and was asked to be on the board of this newly formed um, organization. So since then, I've very much learned um, on the job in many different ways. Um, my sons are actually, they would fit the definition of recovery from autism, um, which is different from a cure, um, but they are doing beautifully. And I've loved all my involvement along the years, eventually becoming executive director of the Gray Center and doing a lot of coaching and consulting with other um, parents and professionals, um, as well as individuals on the spectrum. Now, the social stories uh, developed by um, Carol Gray are really one of the things that uh, you can apply anywhere, anytime, that I find has been most useful no matter where your child is on the spectrum because you can make it as complicated or as simple um, as can be. And so I'm a great admirer of um, Carol Gray and what she's done in those areas. And I can see how the um, social response pyramid kind of fits in with that, yeah. making it more concrete for someone on the spectrum. Right. I think the pyramid can also help us identify when a social story is um, would be a valid tool to use and what some of the gaps are that we need to build into a social story. So I found in my work they dovetail very nicely. But you're right, social stories are a wonderful tool um, that people, it's worthwhile to know about that. Um, And again, they're very individualized. You write it for the particular audience, whoever the child or student may be. Right, and I remember some people think that it's only for people who are uh, showing verbal skills. But that's oh. not necessarily true. I mean, I used them uh, for years with my son who uh, had very little verbal skills and we had no real understanding of how much he was taking in. And I used them actually for um, 
he couldn't write them with me. He couldn't because he had no way of really communicating right. that. But I, he loved going to the library, but he had a problem because he used to always rip off the little flaps of the spot books. Okay. You know? <laughs> and so we had our rules about the library. And so, and he would earn a token, but I did it in sort of a social story manner. Okay. Yeah. So he would get a little token for each rule that was. Uh, correctly followed, you know, it was all written out, and then uh, at the last thing, you know, there were just three simple rules, you know, to um, follow the person into the library to touch the books nicely, uh-huh. instead of saying the negative, we said the positive, yep, yep. and then we, and then put them away in the red bin, and if that, you know, if he did all that, he got to go to McDonald's, but if he ever, if his fingers ever went near a flap to tear it, he was out of the library in two seconds flat because he loved the library. That wouldn't work for someone who didn't want to be there. But, you know, uh, and it's interesting because going on your website, I saw that you had a little video there taking care of library books. <laughs> right. Um, well, and one of the other things that you talked about, which I think is so important for parents to hear, is that it's important to communicate our expectations and to follow through. Exactly. You know, where my kids knew if you ever have a meltdown in a grocery store, we're gone. And, you know, I've talked to parents who said, well, you know, I hate taking my child to the store because every time I go, I have to buy her a Barbie or she's going to throw a fit. Oh no. oh, no, my kids knew you throw a fit, we're gone. And I only had to do that once, and they figured out I was serious. But right. that's so hard for a parent to do to follow through on that kind of thing. You know, it's embarrassing when your child is kicking and screaming. Um, but I've learned through the years as both a parent and a professional, you kids need to know what those boundaries are and to see that you're serious about them. Right. All kids test boundaries, yeah. whether they're on the spectrum or off the spectrum. Yeah. I have um, two children, and Rebecca is not on the spectrum, but she's very smart, and she constantly tested boundaries. Sure. And I think depending on their personality, some will push them more than others. Exactly. Um, but it's so important. What I find so often is that families... Um, Really, you know, they want to do what's best for their child, and they're aware of some of the differences and the difficulties, and they cater to those, and so often a child ends up kind of running the show at home. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what I do is helping parents to identify some of those things and equipping them with a toolbox of how do you deal with these behaviors when they come up so that everyone can be successful. Right, because the thing is that um, the thing is when a, a child is, uh, fighting against boundaries and saying no, they're testing. And this is how we teach them to create their own self-regulation and boundaries yeah. over time. And yeah. if we give in to them, they don't learn to create those no. boundaries. No. And I, I do realize it is embarrassing to be out in public when those things happen. And I think um, I kind of got over that because I came from a big family of six kids. Uh-huh. So my, you know, my parents had to kind of run it like a little army. Sure. And... Um, and we were French, raised in America, and my parents were always speaking French, so we stood out anyway. Right. So I kind of got over being embarrassed, no matter what, you know, anybody around me ever did in public. But I know it's really hard. But the other important thing um, to help parents in the situation is that it is hard if you have to go into a store and you have your child with you. Sometimes it's about getting the shopping done and not... Um, teaching the child a lesson. Yep. Sometimes you have no other option. Right. But then you have to sometimes go to the store when it's not about shopping. Right. And have the time to enforce that And rule. And starting small, maybe if you have a child who is notoriously um, bad in a store, start small. Pick, you're going right. to go in and get one thing. And whether you use right. a social story or the pyramid or however you prepare the child for this, you set it up for success. 
yeah. um, where you can expect that this is going to be a positive shopping trip. We're going to be successful right. here because success is built on each other as well. Yes, and, and the, other time, the other thing, too, is that we don't often realize that even though we understand the concept of time and we understand that we're just going in for a couple of minutes, sometimes um, our guys and gals on the spectrum don't yet have that concept of time when they're young. And right. so, plus if we say we're going in for a minute, after a minute we get upset when they're upset. But right. if say a minute, for us it's just an expression, but they're very concrete. Well, and I have to admit that as a mom, many of my minutes at the store have turned into many, many minutes. That, um, Correct. Um, but that's difficult for them, too. So you're right. Um, adhering to the defining it better so that everyone is on the same page is a helpful place to start. Um, and using things like, you know, about, using a word like, you know, I think the store will be at the store about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. We need to get this, this, and this. And then adhering to that. Um, is a good place to start. Now, another area that is a big concern for families that is not often addressed is um, sibling and sibling conflicts. And do you have any suggestions or ideas on how parents can help their siblings uh, using social stories or your pyramid or any other tip that you can give our listeners? Well, I think um, depending on their age and functioning level, um, the pyramid is a great tool. Also, this new DVD of mine, Why Do They Do That, um, is a good resource for helping them to understand their sibling and why um, things are different. It does affect family dynamics. Um, So giving them as much information as we can about why their brother or sister does what they do, um, about uh, kind of empowering them with things that they can do to help or to get their needs met, certainly being aware of their needs. Um, I know an author, Johnny Title, T-U-I-T-E-L, um, who's a man with cerebral palsy and has spent much of his life on crutches or in a wheelchair, where clearly life has had to be adapted for him in order for him to be successful. And yet I heard him talk to a group of parents and say, be very careful about adapting activities in the environment for your child with special needs because they can very quickly come to the understanding that it's all about me, where they expect everything to be adapted for them. And life really isn't going to function like that outside of the home or a very small social context. Mm -hmm. We need to be teaching them about the world's expectations for them and how to meet those expectations in order to be successful. So it's kind of a balancing act. Right. Deciding with each situation as you go, you know, do I need to um, kind of go in the direction of meeting the sibling's needs in this particular situation? Do I need a date night with the sibling so that we get out of the house and do some things with them? I recently had a parent ask me, you know, I've got a child with autism who can't handle sporting events because they're too loud or for whatever reason, but my other children really want to go. You know, I keep looking for a different sporting event that my other child can handle. What do I do? Well, it's complicated. Part of it is working with the particular child to see if there is a setting where she can be successful and giving her tools, whether it's headphones or sitting in a particular place, um, teaching her about the game so that she can understand what's happening a little better, taking her for shorter periods of time. But it may also mean um, getting respite, getting a sitter or something for the child with autism so that mom or dad or both can go with the siblings to the sporting event so that life doesn't all become about the child with special needs. It's really about having a mixture of both. 
Yes. And uh, that whole part of preparing the child on the spectrum is really important. In fact, when I interviewed people um, on the spectrum for my book, uh, Autism Life Skills, all mm-hmm. of them communicated whether they were typers or on the more able end of the spectrum and very verbal. They all said if there was one thing people could do to make our life easier, especially when growing up, is tell us what is going to happen next. Right. That's the one piece of advice. Tell us what's going to happen next. And that's what you're doing, in fact, when you're preparing somebody for a game right. or going out somewhere in public, is preparing them for what's going to happen next. Right. Now, uh, on the other hand, how do you... Uh, so, for example, the social response pyramid or the other tools that you have, how do you work with those in a classroom setting if there are parents or teachers that want to use that at school, for example, or in a group, small group setting? Um, well, at one time I had heard from someone in Japan that their entire school had used this pyramid. Every single student had um, one of these little pieces. And um, the culture in Japan is such that it's very difficult to label a child as having a disability like autism. Mm-hmm. So they just kind of leveled the playing field and used the pyramid as a way to talk about everybody's strengths and challenges, which is exactly what I designed it for. Um, so I, with my kit, I say that there are two different social contexts. One is I represent with a circle, and that's when we are interacting very deliberately with other people in a small group setting or maybe in a classroom where everybody's focused on, on the teacher. At the dinner table, that would be a circular social context where we know that we need to be thinking about what other people are saying and doing and how they feel. Um, the other social context I represent with a rectangle where we may feel like we're alone, but we're still sharing space with other people. This might be when you're walking by yourself in a crowded shopping mall. You may not be shopping with anyone, but we need to realize that our responses are going to affect other people and that they're going to have thoughts about us or respond to us in a certain way. So we can teach that. Um, I've used it at home to talk about um, table manners. Um, to talk about conflicts that have arisen, um, to prepare my kids for things that are coming up. Um, so there are a lot of different ways to use it in the classroom. It could be used as a hall pass um, to show a need for some time away. I've used it in small group settings to illustrate oftentimes um, when people are in a small group setting with their body language they make it look like they're not a part of the group. Their chair is back a ways or they're facing a different direction or they're doing something that isn't... We need, we need to stop for a break now. Okay. Sorry. Okay, we'll be right back. Okay, thank you. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. 
Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio, Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Again, this is Chantel Cecile Cura filling in for Terry Aranga of Autism One. And my guest today is Laurel Falvo. And when we went to break, she was uh, talking about using um, all her uh, skills and the pyramid for uh, school and small group interactions. Right. And uh, basically that last illustration is simply talking about how we can use the pyramid to illustrate concepts like fitting in. You know, what does it mean when we talk about fitting in? Um, That we can illustrate things like uh, using body language, the topics that we talk about, um, thinking about other people's responses. Um, All of those are part of our tools um, for fitting in in groups um, or with other individuals. Okay, and I wanted to remind people of where they could find, uh, because there is information and there is also a visual of the social response pyramid, and that's on the Gray Center, and Gray is spelled G-R-A-Y, thegraycenter.org, backward slash social dash response dash pyramid. Yes. We also have um, a Gray Center Facebook page, and um, I have a social response pyramid Facebook page, um, I also have, for years, I've written um, a weekly newsletter that I send out free of charge. It's, it's a little article about autism or social understanding. Um, until a few weeks ago, it was called The Sun News, which was named after our Gray Center Social Understanding Network, where the SUN came from. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently changed the title to Social Insights, and I spell that I-N-C-I-T-E-S, um, as um, a look at the fact that my Insights are meant to encourage or incite people um, toward personal and interpersonal growth. And that's really a passion of mine is helping people keep stepping forward. I think so often, um, especially autism or some kind of social deficits, can make people feel very isolated and people can very quickly shut down. Mm -hmm. And I think my goal has always been helping people identify some of the next steps um, so that they can keep moving forward and experience success. Can you remind people what the address is for your blog? Um, sure. It's actually a new one now, and it's just socialinsights, I-N-C-I-T-E-S, dot com. So hopefully that's easy to find. Great. Now, what age do you think it's important to start using things like social stories or um, your pyramid of social response there? Um, I've used my pyramid for children as young as six or seven, and depending on their comprehension level, um, the ones that I've used it with have grasped it, grasped it very nicely. If you have a child with 
um, more severe language um, difficulties. Social stories definitely can be used. And, you know, you talked about the lack of verbal language skills. Um, I think, based on the people I've known, we should never assume that a lack of um, spoken language should ever indicate a lack of understanding. You know, I have a very dear friend, Sandra Williams, um, who's a woman on the spectrum who's done a lot of um, speaking and writing, and she has shared that she was pretty much nonverbal until close to the age of five, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until in the last decade or so that she has gone back and she has memories which play almost like videotapes in her head where finally now as an adult she's able to put meaning with those memories and she shares that as a young child she did not have the verbal ability to express things to other people but she also didn't have the verbal ability to even understand what was happening um, so she just kind of took it all in and now is, as an adult is assigning meaning to it. So I think we can never assume uh, that people can't understand or aren't going to learn from our efforts. We may have to keep things very simple. A social story for a very young child or a child with um, comprehension difficulties or language barriers might be a few words per page. Um, and that, again, goes to tailoring it to individual needs. Yes, it's um, really important, and I'm so glad that you mentioned that fact about just because people aren't um, giving us output to show that they're understanding doesn't mean that they're not understanding. Right. Uh, it's amazing what you just said about this young woman because um, Jeremy, um, you know, he's been typing, uh, which he learned over a long process, and then he recently gave a um, voice output presentation with PowerPoint to Otcom. Uh, their national um, uh-huh. conference here at Bur- in Burbank. And so he put it together from writings he had from before, but I was amazed because he went back and he was describing things from when he was little, and it's the same kind of thing that he's saying, that there were things that he didn't understand, uh-huh. but it was what I did as a mom and teaching him wow. that helped him put everything together. Wow. You know, and then everybody, every time he just kept adding, it was like blocks on there. And right. I had no clue if he was understanding me or not. Right. But he, he says that he remembers, like, that I was leaning over the crib and he saw my mouth move and that was wow. the first time that he realized that the sound that he heard, okay. that he still didn't understand, but that that right. sound was coming from my voice. Wow. But... It was before he had um, auditory integration processing, he couldn't differentiate sounds. Okay. And after he had auditory integration processing, he said that's when he understood it. I know from his behavior that that's true, uh-huh. because before he would never respond to his name, and then after the auditory integration training, he would whip his head around when someone said his name, and or he would come running in the kitchen if he heard some machine that was on that meant food was being prepared. Wow. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> you know... Well, and if you look at my pyramid, um, the responses at the top, are we are, like, trained to look for other people's responses. Right. But, again, that's only the tip of the pyramid. Um, and sometimes we misread their responses or they aren't able right. to give us a response or they give us that authentic response that doesn't fit what we're looking for. So we always need to be aware that there's so much more there than what we're able to right. observe. So, yes, yeah, so it's just I want, was relating that story to encourage people yes. to, 
if they have a child who's not responding very right. much verbally or their communication skills aren't that strong, it doesn't mean that they're not soaking everything in. Right. And so um, we need to still be communicating to them and treating them like anybody else and giving them opportunities for learning. Well, and I think there's always a danger in assuming that people are, you know, we may label them as lower functioning. Um, we look at those responses and say, well, you're not producing what I'm looking for. You must not be capable of that. I think it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy where we don't raise the expectations. We don't teach them expecting right. them to be successful and um, are not surprised then when they're not successful. So raising the bar and giving them as much information as we can in an appropriate way that meets um, their needs and their abilities um, is always a good thing. So now as um, the executive director of the center, do you actually um, run social groups or go out and teach at schools or what do you do, we do. Uh, on um, a daily basis because you yeah. seem to be doing a lot of things? Yeah, in addition to the accounting and all the, the basics of running an organization, um, I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one, um, consulting and coaching, yeah. oftentimes by phone with um, people around the country, um, just giving them an hour of my time of saying, let's talk about this, what's happening at home, uh, what questions do you have, what do you need help with, um, and I intentionally, as a nonprofit, we're able to keep our costs very low. We try to be accessible to anyone who needs that. Um, I'm also available to do presentations and trainings in schools. Um, I've done some by Skype um, where budgets can't allow me to travel there, um, where I'm still able to connect with people. Um, we do have a very active group of young people who come here um, right now a couple of times a month. Um, in our area, we've um, oh, got a couple dozen um, who have been coming for a long time but we're in the process of starting what we call um, social coaching for workplace success. Oh, that's great. Um, where we're going to be, you know, a lot of these individuals are very capable with particular work skills. It's the social skills that really right. cause problems with their employment. Right. Um, so having an ongoing class to continue teaching and supporting, um, just trying to be kind of a liaison between the employees and their employers. That's such an important uh, piece. Uh -huh. uh, I've I've done a lot of research on that whole area of employment recently uh, because I just finished co-authoring a book with my son called A Full Life with Autism, and it's about the transition to adult life. Okay. And, um, well, you know, I mean, everyone's heard Temple Grandin talk about how the social aspects of the job would get her in trouble and right. nearly fired. But, right. Uh, it's so important that organizations such as yours that are specialized in social you know, skills and that kind of thing, social understanding is actually focusing on that now. Right. Uh, so do you, does your organization also give training outside of your center for that, or are you currently just developing uh, the program? Well, um, it's kind of an extension of a lot of what we've already been doing, but we're making it a lot more intentional. It'll be a weekly class. Um, I'm more than willing to do trainings and let people know um, what I've learned along the way through my research and working one-on-one -on -one with individuals. Um, but putting together the program, I'm actually putting together the curriculum myself. Um, so this is something kind of new for us, uh, kind of pulling together a lot of loose ends and putting together a new um, program here. Yeah, I just... Um, I've been looking on the online as I'm speaking with you here, and I see that you have a page 
for that social coaching for workplace success. If yes. people would like to see that, yep. it's again the graycenter.org. Yep. Get dash help backward slash coaching consulting. And there's a little section there on social coaching for workplace success. And people are always welcome to email me if they caught pieces of this but um, can't find what they're looking for. And that's laurel, L-A-U-R-E-L, at thegraycenter.org. Yeah, so I, I didn't realize that you also had to do all of the um, accounting and paperwork yeah. there. <laughs> I'm busy, but I enjoy what I do. Yeah. So do you mind sharing uh, with us what your, uh, your two sons are doing now that are on the spectrum or that were on the spectrum? Yes. Um, they are actually in high school right now. Um, uh-huh. They are both all-A students, very involved musically. Um, my oldest now has his first job and is keeping very busy with that and loving it, um, in addition to his schoolwork and extracurricular activities. Um, so I can certainly attest to the value of early intervention and a lot of hard work um, along the way. Um, we had done a gluten and dairy-free diet, which was, I think, a helpful piece for our family. Um, which for is many why years. you you wrote that book. Yes. Yep. I was getting so many calls from people saying, I hear you're doing this. Can you help me know what to buy and what to cook? And I just put all my recipes together and said, here you go. Um, neat. Now, um, in terms of IEPs, because I know that uh, what I find happens a lot with uh, kids that have Asperger's syndrome is that they're getting pushed through all the academic classes and we don't have time or people don't find time for all these things like the social aspect, the things that I consider to be life skills that you do want to get taken care of or taught as part of the curriculum when they're in school because uh, as most people should be aware that once they're out of the school, uh, they're going to have problems getting any kind of help uh, for learning. And so we're going to talk about that after the break. Sounds good. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio, dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 472 5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. It's Chantal Cecile Kira, and I'm replacing Terry Aranga just for today. Uh, Terry Aranga of Autism One, and I am speaking with someone who has given us a lot of information about social understanding 
And uh, Laurel Salvo, I wanted to ask you, as I just started talking about it before the break, how we can uh, get the schools on board with this, how to incorporate uh, some of the things they need to learn in IEPs. And I'm bringing this up because some of our listeners may not be aware, but when you have a child um, or a teenager who has high-functioning autism or Asperger's syndrome and he's doing well academically and he's getting kind of pushed through everything, mm-hmm. oftentimes there isn't time to teach the real-life skills, like the social understanding. And what happens is when they graduate at 18, they're no longer eligible for IDEA services and then there's not anything really available in terms of funding for teaching them the skills they need to know. So I think that parents really need to get in there during the high school years, if, if not earlier, to start getting in the IEPs and getting this discussion going and getting goals and objectives specific to social understanding. What is your viewpoint on that, and what uh, do you suggest, Laurel? Well, I tell people all the time it really is never about how much we know. It's about how well we can meet other people's expectations. So, um, you know, whether you're talking about studying for a test, you can say, well, I studied all the content. If you get an F on the test, clearly you weren't able to meet the teacher's expectations. And so often, like you said, these higher-functioning individuals can do very well um, in school academically um, but are not learning the skills for meeting other people's expectations on the playground or in the cafeteria, um, even with teachers in terms of how they interact. And so they become technically adults. They hit that magic age and try to go out and get a job. Some of them manage to get through an interview but um, get into the workplace on a regular basis and end up alienating a lot of people with the way that they respond to them. So those social skills are crucial. Um, One thing that I think can be difficult is they often do well with adults. So sometimes teachers may not see it for what it is. If they're interacting well with them, um, they may not see it as being a problem. Um, Oftentimes these kids will hang out with the playground monitor or the teacher in the cafeteria. and in so some how ways, do you get this incorporated into their program at school? Well, certainly asking for it is one thing, and bringing some tools, um, I think, so that um, teachers don't feel like they have to start from scratch. Um, certainly putting social stories in the IEP is something that we've seen a lot of people do. The problem with that is if people aren't trained to write them, you're not right. going to get very far. Um, social skills groups, um, Circles of friends are all things that can be added to IEPs. Again, um, it kind of depends on who's leading the groups and how seriously they take that. Um, I've heard of some kids ending up with uh, an adult mentor teaching a class with just you know this one child. So they're, you know, I say you can't learn social skills in isolation. Um, and learning social skills with an adult is a wonderful thing, especially since someday those are the people they're going to be interacting with. But the, dif- the deficits, the real difficulties show up when they're interacting with their peers. Um, what about the idea of um, seeing if there's a group of interest of something that the student is interested in, and if there isn't one, maybe organizing one? Because oh. I know even at, at high schools, neurotypical parents, are, I mean parents of neurotypical children are constantly like organizing. Yes interests or groups for something that their child likes. I think that as parents it's hard because we don't have as much time, but we need to get more involved if there isn't an after-school club because anybody can start a club at high school. Right. And so once you have that special interest, then there's 
the object, you're going to get people interested, and then you can put those social skills training applied, you know, somebody who knows more about that. But is that a good way to start? Oh, most definitely. You know, really, we do our kids a disservice in many ways. We know that this population with autism and Asperger's, the people they have the hardest time connecting with socially are their peers. Now, the only time in life that we ever tell people that your peers are going to be your friends and colleagues and um, teammates and everything else are when they are in school. Um, You know, I'm a little bit over 40. Nobody ever tells me I have to hang out with people who are my age. Um, I hang out with people based on interests and other types of connections. So sometimes your public library may already have things in place. Um, I know our public library occasionally will have things on Japanese anime, and I know that's big with a lot of kids with autism. Um, If they can get connected with other kids based on their interests, and it may be um, not kids just their age, if we can get them connected. Um, I've got a young lady at church um, who wasn't doing well in um, youth group, and we finally said maybe that shouldn't be the primary focus. Um, that can come later. We can continue to teach her the skills she needs to be successful there. We can continue to work with the leader and the other students. But let's plug her in now. She's joining a ladies' knitting group um, one night a week, and she's learning how to knit. Um, She's helping to run the PowerPoint during services. She's finding a lot of ways to get plugged in and feel really good about herself without trying to fit her into this box of this is the program we have for other high school students. This is where you belong. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, I'm – making all these suggestions, but of course when you're the parent, you're like the last person who sees things with your own kid. Yep. <laughs> and so um, I was really lucky the last couple of years of school uh, for Jeremy because for years before that, you know, it's been, it had been quite tough, but somebody, once Jeremy was able to uh, type at school, you know, a teacher recognized this and then the um, new school administrator came in and was, you know, really interested in Jeremy and decided to bring in the tools that he needed after, in, you know, interviewing all the teachers at the school and everything. And they brought in an inclusion specialist. And the inclusion specialist, the first time she came, she was like, well, he likes to write because Jeremy kept saying he likes to write. Uh-huh. You know, and he wants to be an advocate and he wants to tell his story. She said, well, isn't there a, a newspaper here on campus? And I'm like, yeah, well, so he needs to join the journalism class. Oh, and I'm like, oh, my yeah. God, are you kidding me? Yeah. But you know what? He joined, and of course the people have to be open the teacher was really great. She gave him his own column. Now, he didn't really make friends in the class because he was like 21, you know, and the kids were like, you know, 17, 18, and they already had their whole, you know, these are people who have been together for a while. But the thing is they accepted him, and, Mm -hmm. you know, it was a little noisy for him, and the problem with journalism is a lot of time you are working on your own, but you're still working on your own in groups kind of. But the thing is is that carried over to community college. So now he's on the community college newspaper, and he meets with this group every week. And he has a group of people that he's associated with, and he's learned so much, and he's learned so much about writing, like he can't just write about autism all the time. Right, (laughs) right. Or he can write from his point of view, but why not write about uh, an album, review an album from his point of view or something. But anyway, I I didn't even think about that. I was too timid thinking, oh, no, that'll never work. But the inclusion specialist, she was like, what do, you know, yeah, he has the right, let's do it. It was great. Well, and then you're also okay. teaching the other people who are on that, um, in that club or class or committee or whatever it, they end up joining, how to interact with someone who has some differences but is gifted in certain areas. Correct. And um, how to just be accepting of people who are not exactly like you. Right, right. Um, I like to use the analogy of a tree. 
um, where we all need nourishing, um, supportive relationships, a way to meet our basic needs, um, inspiration, a healthy lifestyle. Uh, the trunk is we need to be growing um, right. socially, mentally, emotionally, financially. Um, then the branches are we all need to be connecting. If we're sitting at home playing video games by ourselves all day, every day, we we don't have opportunities to get connected with people who are going to become those supportive relationships and help meet our needs. And then the last thing is we need to be contributing. Everybody has something to contribute, whether it's writing a column or um, helping to take care of animals or writing a thank you note to somebody. There are so many ways to give of our time and our abilities and our passions but a lot of them are going to need help identifying what it is they have to contribute and being given a place to do that. Thank you so much, Laurel. We're going to have you. to be uh, winding down now, and I think I'm really glad we ended on that note because it is so important. I want to remind our listeners that we've been talking with um, Laurel Falvo, who is the executive director of the Gray Center and who uh, has an educational tool, the Social Response Pyramid, and you can um, find her on thegraycenter.org, and gray is spelled G-R-A-Y. And do you want to remind people again of your own blog? Sure. It's socialinsights, dot com. And, again, we have a page on Facebook for both the Gray Center and Social Insight. Okay. And so I think we have, like, about 30 seconds left. Is there one more thing you would like to say, Laurel, before we leave? Well, I guess just circling back to the way this program started, um, you know, don't give up hope, whether you're a parent or a grandparent or an individual on the spectrum who's feeling isolated or like you don't have anything to contribute. Um, hopefully through resources like this radio show and the Gray Center, um, you can get connected with other people and get the information and support you need um, to turn around and take that next step to keep moving forward. That's right. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been Laurel Falvo, and I am Chantal Cecile Kira. I've um, replaced Terry Aranga, but just for today, Terry Aranga will be back next time. Thank you for listening, and be the change that you want to see. Thank you, Laurel. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.